welcome to another episode of the ASEMA Development Podcast. I'm Mike. I'll be our host again this week. And we've got uh, with us Eddie, Ramses, and Tad. Today is a, is a fun topic. We're going to be talking about teaching kids to code. I thought that I might start this session <laughs> with a personal story. A couple of them, actually, that, uh, that I think are relevant will help inform our discussion. I remember my first experience coding as a kid. This is way back in ye olden days of, of yore <laughs> when uh, computing was different. When I was in about third grade, we got to use the school computer because the school had a computer and classes would take turns playing with it. We had uh, Logo, which is software that allows you to move a little turtle around the screen. You code it to walk around the screen. You know, that was cool. It was a real-time real-time feedback. You tell it to move, it moves. You tell it to move again, it moves. But we learned that there was a way you could go into like a back screen where you could type in loops. And I remember playing with that and thinking it was like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Wanted to do that all the time, but I had to use like my 10 minutes of computer time on the shared school computer and that was it. <laughs> and I didn't really get to use a computer again for some time. Except that I did have a couple friends who had coded in BASIC and taught me some things, which I also thought was cool. I remember that. So in sixth grade, the teacher tried to show us how to code. They had the BASIC environment there. And I thought, oh, I remember how to do this. And I wrote line 10, and I had it print out my name. And line 20, go to 10. And I ran it because I remembered how to do that. And I just started printing out my name endlessly. And the teacher was really unfamiliar and was just following a set of instructions and had no idea how to undo that. Couldn't stop it, had to restart the computer. And by the time the computer got restarted, our computer time was done and we had to go back to class. <laughs> so I ruined the coding session for everybody. It, it wasn't a high point. <laughs> and the teacher was not at all happy with me. I can tell some other stories of, of learning to code later, but there's some commonality there. Coding was fun when I had a chance to have fun. And it didn't work out very well. And there wasn't resources for me to play. But also, when there wasn't somebody around who could give me some guidance, the teacher wasn't able to provide any help. It meant I did something fun and then got lost and frustrated. And that was kind of the end of it for everybody. And unfortunately, I, I ruined the day for not just myself, but a bunch of other kids. The kids love to explore. Kids explore by nature and want to go out exploring. And given the chance to do that in the right environment, will tend to latch on to it if they get the support that they need. And with that context, let's go on and talk about some ideas for helping kids to code. We were talking a little bit before we, we started today about some experiences other people have had teaching kids to code. I've myself had a, a decent amount of experience. I've taught several kids to at least some degree how to code, including my own and those of uh, friends and relatives. So I've got some background doing this, have some ideas, but certainly don't have all the ideas. There's so much out there and there's so much you know, science of teaching that I'm sure there's all kinds of things that I'm missing. And I, I'd love to hear what other people have to say. First of all, any thoughts based on my story or thoughts to begin our podcast? Yeah, as I was thinking about this, there are maybe three things that really interest me when people talk about this kind of stuff, because I'm curious how they got started. And those three things are, how did you first get access? What was your hook? What was the thing that got you interested and got you started? And the third thing is, who was your mentor? Or who was the person who came along and gave you the nudge that got you in? Because as I was listening to your stories, 
I'm like, these are some common elements that I, I've noticed in a lot of people's experiences. And so I'd be curious to hear from like Eddie and Ramsey's because uh, Mike, you and I are both in our 40s. And so that first one, how did you first get access to a computer is because you know, they weren't ubiquitous no, when weren't. I was a kid, right? <laughs> I remember when every teacher in my elementary school, I think I was in fourth grade, every teacher got their own computer for their own classroom. And that was big. And you'd hear about computers, but they weren't really common and really accessible. So I'd like to hear other people's experiences. Just how did you get access? What was the hook that got you interested? And who was the person who gave you the nudge? Maybe you don't have those three, but I found those to be very common elements when talking to people about how they first learned or what got them into it. Actually, it's kind of funny. You kind of struck a chord with me there because I'm like, dang, when did I get interested in that? To give some context, you know, I'm like hitting 30. And back in elementary school, there wasn't high-speed internet. So the only way we had access to internet was connecting to the phone cord. And you had to switch back and forth between like taking a phone call (laughs) um, and connecting to the internet. So it was like dial up. And the problem was that cell phones weren't very prominent at the time. My mom would always go and like scream at us. And she's like, hey, disconnect from the internet. You know, I need to make a phone call. When she wasn't a call, we had no access to internet. And so we dabbled around my older brother and I on like how to change elements in HTML and uh, seeing like little buttons and tags being changed. And rendered was my first exposure because that's the one that's the one thing i could do you know without internet access so your computer was the, the computer with dial-up internet the hook was being able to make changes on in html so you could make a web page and is your older brother who who got you interested yeah initially it was him and he kind of just flew with it for a while i kind of just uh, sat back and watched him uh, modify some tags but it was something that we could do you know while not having access to internet (laughs) what about you ramses i'm in my late 20s as well and i've always just been around computers i think i i was first exposed to computers when i was like five probably we got a home computer for christmas one year but yeah it was a lot of fun i don't really remember being super interested in coding when i was really young but I think I was just always intrigued by technology and building things. Mid-20s, I, I got more interested in, in learning coding and uh, taking it a lot more seriously. So I really enjoy it because you get that feedback, uh, like you mentioned. And it's great being able to build things and or to build something and you know know that you're helping someone. With you on that feedback, that moment you realize you don't just have to be consumer of what the computer gives to you. You can make that a a two-way conversation and ask this tool to do things for you and have it do that. And it's just magical. Was there anybody who kind of nudged you into it or are you kind of self-taught, self-discovered? Kind of a combo, like self-motivated. I don't want to take all the credit myself. I mean, I'm self-motivated, but I think I, I, I learn a lot from other people. There's been a lot of mentors that I've had. Mike was a prominent one early on and still is. You know, Afton, Tad, a lot of other people. My curiosity is, were you thinking about taking this track 
when you first started working for Asima, or was it you found a niche in QA and then from QA people kind of nudged you over into development? Yeah, it was exactly that. When I was in application support, I found a kind of an opening that expanded my interest in uh, learning software development. And I don't know if there was any single person that, that kind of pushed me. There was probably multiple. One of our old product managers, Jeff Madsen, was a pretty big proponent in that. Mike Chalice was a proponent in that as, that as well. I think he nudged me a little bit. Something interesting to me about that is we all had kind of different paths here. The those who picked it up more as adults, yeah, and I, I'm going to talk about you particularly, Ramses. A lot of people potentially listening to this who um, may be coming from a background like, well, yeah, you know, I don't have a traditional computer science background. I've never really done coding, but I've started doing a little bit of work. But there is this, I don't know, not really the back door, or the front door, like the side door, <laughs> where you're at some place that's, uh, it could be a business, it could be something that's. Uh, not even specifically a business, but any organization where you have an opportunity, maybe unexpectedly to start doing this work. A lot of times people think, well, this is just kind of this side thing that maybe I'll pick up a little bit. But that can be a real gateway into a career. And I've known a lot of people now who've gotten into the career, not by saying, oh, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get a four-year degree, and then I'm going to go do an internship, get a job, like have this really clear linear path. A lot of people don't come in that way. They are in application support and they get an opportunity to expand their role, start doing some coding, and eventually they become a full-time developer. And this this applies, you know, in actually kind of diverse fields. There are biologists who have found that to understand their data better, they needed to learn how to do some coding and uh, machine learning. And so they became coders and started building out the tools to do better analysis of their data. Now they're developers and biologists. And the same thing applies to doctors or I, uh, just some that, that come to the top of my head I've read about. And these are kind of high prestige professions, but there's some things that are less prominent that are also important. But there's many professions that don't necessarily have a lot of visibility, but have need for some sort of software. And if you can get in that a little bit, it's surprising just how much that need is there. And you can step into it again through that like side door and find yourself with a fairly different career because you you latched onto that and just kept on working on it. Right. Yeah. I've met a lot of developers who came to it from one of these side doors like you're talking about, because it's really interesting to me. Software is everywhere and really touches everything in our lives now right? It's in your phone, it's in your car, it's in your whatever appliance you're using to make your breakfast. <laughs> you know, it's it's in your fridge. Like It's really surprising all the places that you find software now. And it's interesting because I worked with a guy who was a physics major, but he's like, oh yeah, I had to model some things. And so I had to code some things and I found out, oh, I really enjoy this more than I enjoy physics. I worked with a guy who was into accounting and uses Excel all the time. Oh, I've got to write macros for Excel. Oh, I'm going to learn some more visual basics so that I can write better macros for Excel. Oh, I actually prefer writing macros over my regular accounting job. Suddenly they become a developer. Or I had a friend who was a journalism major in college, and he really liked to investigate and figure things out. And that led him to like 
documentation and stuff, which led him into software development. So it really is everywhere, and it really is possible to transition from pretty much anything over into software development because it's so ubiquitous, I think. I agree wholeheartedly. I kind of want to touch a little bit, like you mentioned before, like off this call that you were successful in teaching your kids how to code, and one of them is actually going to school for that. Like, how how did you uh, engage or propose the idea to your kid? Because I'm sure like you proposing that idea has some sort of influence. Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's a perfect segue into talking about what you can do specifically for kids. We talked some about adults here. Uh, more than kids, and then a little bit with kids. There's the same idea of that hook and how people get started. My oldest, my son, he is uh, now 18. He's going to, uh, he's in college, University of Illinois. When he was fairly young, I think the first coding that I exposed him to is that he would sometimes be working on math and want to have a better calculator than what he had. So, you know, he's working on his math homework, wanted to add some numbers together or do something like, you know, exponents, say where it's a little more sophisticated and you want to do a bunch of steps. One thing about the way simple calculators work, I guess there's more sophisticated ones now and and maybe even on your computer. They usually perform the operations as you type them. So rather than being able to write out the entire program, the I say program, but kind of the problem that you're working on and then execute it. Uh, instead, you do uh, one step at a time and it's very easy to lose context. You kind of lose track of where you are. And you don't have a history of work that you can go back and check, which is frustrating. <laughs> so I started showing them, hey, you can open up at this console and do some live coding and interact with the computer that way. I made sure to teach him several languages at once. You can see there's more than one way to do it. And they were pretty similar. I, I remember showing him Haskell, which is a more obscure language, but very mathy. And say, hey, look, you can open this interactive console and just type in some Haskell and, and you can get your results back. It's like, oh, cool. Um, and I think I showed him Python and Ruby that all of them have the read eval print loop where you do interactive coding or REPL, people call it. And I started showing him that and he's like, hey, this is really useful. So he'd be using this. He'd uh, pull this up on a laptop for his math class. So he could write out the problem, check that he had written down the problem correctly before he executed it. So unlike a calculator where you don't get to check your work, you, you go back and say, oh, where, which step did I do wrong here? And that was really helpful to him. And once I had that hooked, well, now he knew that it was useful. Now I knew that there was a tool that he could use to make his life easier. And really, it wasn't super hardcore coding, right? It was just typing some simple arithmetic expressions. But that gave him the hook he needed to be able you know, to, to start doing more. Beyond that, I started introducing him when I had the opportunity to some additional kind of sandboxes to play in. And there are several tools. I'd like to do a call out here. There's a popular one that we never really did use called Scratch. Um, which is not too far from the the logo I used when I was a kid, um, where you can give instructions to tell an animated character you know, or some sort of uh, avatar or icon to move around the screen. And uh, you know, Scratch is popular. It's widely used in education. Probably a good option if you can find somebody who's interested in it. It just never really s- spoke to kids I've worked with. But there have been some other things. One thing that most kids seem to love is Minecraft. And Minecraft has a huge modding community, huge. <laughs> I know that that there's a, a similar game, Roblox. There's a lot of sub games in Roblox that people have created by coding them up. Roblox is kind of designed around having this, hey, you build your own mini games community. 
And a lot of people have done that as well. So I think that's also another great option. If you've got a kid who's into Roblox, well, great, they can build their own games. I would strongly recommend something like that. So my son really was into the idea of Minecraft, showed him how to mod a little bit, and it was kind of daunting. There was a company who provided several classes on how to do the modding. He went through their program and really enjoyed it and you know, built his skills there in Java, learning how to mod Minecraft. And once he had that, then he was able to, you know, I showed him some Python. So he was able to start doing some Python. Again, signed him up for some other classes that he had some interest in and, and it just grew and grew. He writes uh, scripts now to solve problems that he has. Like he wrote a little Python program to give himself flashcards so he could study for his Spanish class. And which goes back to right where we first started, it was useful for him. He was able to use the computer to do something cool. He was going to come back to it because it helped him out. All of those tools have been really useful. There's another one that I've used. I'd maybe like to revisit in, in a little bit. When I, I've talked to a group of people, uh, that tool, uh, and there's probably others like it, but it's one that I've used. It's called Sonic Pi. I believe it's open source. Honestly, I haven't really looked into it. But it's a tool that was designed to run on a Raspberry Pi to be really accessible for educators because you can run it on minimal hardware and allows you to do fun stuff with audio. You can code audio and so be your own DJ with uh, writing code and write your own music, which is fun. That's interesting. Um, you just found a way to engage them. And I think that's really important, right? Like, like in order for a kid to learn something is you make a game out of it and like yeah, create exactly. activities around it, you know, to stimulate the brain. And that's really interesting, actually. Not only that, but like sharing enthusiasm to their progress, I think it's is important. But attributed to some of her, uh, my little sister's uh, advancements to the little she had, right? It was like, oh, you got your character to move like one pixel to the right. Oh, that's awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds trivial, but it, it really is kind of awesome, isn't it? It really is this, this sort of magic that you can take this amazing device and have it animate things for you, automate tasks that you know historically the only only the domain of things that humans could do and it may seem trivial move it one pixel to the right but can you imagine having to draw that by hand trying to hand auto animate anything <laughs> for that matter uh, the massive amount of tooling and experience that would be required to accomplish something like that it would be prohibitive in almost all cases uh, having a tool that can do that is amazing and, and it, there really is a magic to having that character move a pixel to the right you're like the puppeteer. Tad, I think you'd mentioned earlier that you've had some experience uh, getting kids hooked on, on coding or like giving them some experience. Do you have any tools or uh, advice that you'd recommend? It's hard because there's so many things out there. You almost need to find, well, I keep talking about like the hook, right? What are their interests? There's probably some hook you can find that will get them interested. To be fair, coding isn't for everybody. There's people that, you know, my oldest daughter just started college and she's going into like natural resources and wildlife management. And she, she's very directly told me that she wants to be outdoors and she doesn't want to sit in front of a computer and she wants to do certain things. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're probably never going to be a programmer. You'll definitely be using computers for things, but coding is not your thing and that's fine. But I used to help kids just tweak mods for Minecraft they were really interested in Minecraft and they're like, oh, regular Minecraft is interesting, but man, I found this really cool mod for Minecraft that I really like. And then they start using mods and installing mods and then they're like, oh, maybe I could make my own mod. 
And so they want to make their own mod, but you know they have to find a book or a person or somebody that can help them with something like that, right? Because just for a kid to make a mod, they're just like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just finding the right hook. It's interesting to me. A lot of kids come through video games where they're like, oh yeah, when I was a kid, my uncle gave me a bunch of games and I was playing a bunch of games and my uncle is also a developer. And so I asked him like, can you like make games? And he's like, yeah, sure. You could make games. And he helped me make a simple game. And that's how I got hooked. Right. Ted, was yeah. there an attempt to get your older daughter into coding? A little bit, you know, like she had a lot of exposure to it just because her dad is a professional software developer. They did a few things in school, but for her, nothing really clicked. And so I'm like, you know what? Do your own thing. Follow your own interests, right? But for a lot of kids, it would click if you just find the right thing. I think there's a common misconception that people have and kids have. It's like, oh, I couldn't program because I'm not really good at math, right? Well, it's true that math is really important for certain parts of software development, right? Like if you're coding a really complex physics simulation or you're doing protein folding or you know, one of these things, you absolutely have to have like a dual major in like computer science and math or something like that, right? But if you want to make just like a website, I, I was talking to this gal and she got into programming because she really got into the Sims and she really enjoyed making custom objects and custom like outfits and things for different people. And she's like, I would love to share this with the world. I would love for people to download all my objects and all my Sims clothing. And she got into WordPress because she needed to make a website to do this. And from there, she got into PHP so that she could learn how to work her WordPress stuff a little bit more. And from there, she just became a regular general web developer, right? Because she really enjoyed making objects for The Sims. That would be my advice is just figure out what the kid is interested in, because there's probably something that is related that you can use to hook them. Because things like Scratch aren't maybe interesting for every kid, but... Being able to make a website and have your friend visit it and it does some animation might be what you're interested in, right? Absolutely. Or music. There's like that Sonic Pie education yeah. mentioning. Or like you say, the Minecraft mod. <laughs> There's a wide range of things that are out there if somebody has shows some inclination that you can get them hooked with. Well, one of the other things is some people come to it on their own, right? I think a lot of people need somebody they can model after or someone that will nudge them. Because I've talked to a few gals who are like, I always thought computer science, you know, programming, whatever, wasn't for me until I got talked into it by this other woman. And she's like, no, women can code too. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, well, cool. You're showing me that you can do it. So I could probably do that, right? Or I've talked to a bunch of people who are just like, oh, yeah, my uncle was a programmer. So I saw that he had a lot of fun with his job. So I thought maybe I could be a programmer, too. I think role models are sometimes an important part, too. 
your kid, when, when you proposed the idea to start learning to code, how was the mom's perspective on that? Like, was she hesitant at first? Was she reluctant? Like, was oh. she fully on board, committed? You know, because like proposing coding to a kid can be daunting from like a habit. So, yeah, that's an interesting question. So, so were my wife and I unified on this? Or was I proposing it and uh, mom was like, uh, I don't know. Is that is that the question? Yeah, exactly. It was just like, hey, do you think that's the right idea? <laughs> my wife has always been very encouraging of my career. My dad uh, was in and and his brothers were uh, worked construction. My mom was a nurse, but uh, I wasn't interested in nursing. But her dad was a handyman. So m- most of my role models were in the construction industry. And that affects the way you see your career path. Right? <laughs> I did some school, kind of ran out of money and went to make some more money and ended up doing construction type work. I did a few different jobs, but in that field and you know, to, to make money. And it took me a while to go back to school because it was hard to save up enough. <laughs> uh, but also I didn't necessarily see myself as a coder and my wife was always very supportive in that aspect. Said, "Well, you need this is this is what you need to do." So when my son showed some interest, and I swore that I think my wife was very much on board because she saw that it gave him so much potential. There's so much potential in pursuing that. She was actually the one who went out and, and found the class for uh, Minecraft modding. Uh, Say, "Hey, let's go, let's go get this. This looks like a good option." Um, and then, of course, uh, being a professional here, I was able to help him out with it. But I think she, if anything, was more supportive than I was because she saw the opportunities that were available there and, and tried to encourage us to do that. And I think that that was, that was really helpful uh, and important. She's encouraged also with my other kids. My second oldest, uh, there's a big gap between my oldest and the next. Uh, my second oldest just turned 10. Um, my daughter is seven, going on eight, and she's shown some interest. So I've, I've shown her some coding. She's done some stuff on Khan Academy. She played around with it a little bit. It was a little bit beyond her reach. So we're giving a little bit of space, but she's she's had a taste. Not everybody's interested. So my second oldest, I don't think he is really ever going to be that interested, but my daughter, I think, is. So I'm going to try to give her all the opportunities that I can. What I told my mom, like, even if they ultimately decide not to pursue coding, I think it's a valuable asset to have in your, in your Absolutely. arsenal. You know? Absolutely. Well, ask, ask this a different way. How often do you write essays in your career? Or how often do you solve algebra problems? Or use your calculus if you took calculus? I'm guessing the answer to all of those is never. They teach it in school anyway, because those learning to write an essay and learning to do algebra teach you a way of thinking, of decomposing a a problem into smaller parts and taking the time to craft a quality solution and to understand how to break up that problem into small parts. And sometimes we forget that we learned that lesson and we, think, and we say, oh yeah, I'm just gonna do it all at once. And we get, we get frustrated and lost. But those skills very much uh, useful, maybe not in and of themselves, but in teaching broader skills. And I think coding is very much that way as well. It teaches you problem solving skills. Even beyond that, it teaches you problem-solving vocabulary. Because I love to talk to other developers because I already have a shorthand for explaining the problem, right? Like I could say it's X type of problem or it's Y type of problem, or this is a certain type of approach to this problem. 
I've got all these words and there's a very rich vocabulary that come with understanding all these different problems and how to solve these problems that I wish more people had. So I could say, oh yeah, this is a problem of this type. And they'd be like, oh, okay. Now I see what you're talking about. If it's that type of problem, then maybe here's some of the solutions for that problem. I'm like, yes. <laughs> like it would be so nice if I could use my rich problem solving vocabulary in everyday life and people would just kind of pick it up and understand it. And I wouldn't have to stop and say like, okay, here's a story. Here's an analogy. Here's a thing that explains why I'm about to tell you this. Uh, I do have a question for Ramsey. So, do you have any kids, dude? No, no, no kids. Okay. So I'm currently married and my wife and I are in talks, you know, of like maybe making our family bigger. My question for you is like, I'm sure you thought, or if you do have kids, are you going to also approach them with the idea of coding? Yeah, I, I probably would. I don't know if I'll have kids, but that's, I think if I did, I, I'd want them to be curious and explore what they're interested in. Awesome. Yeah, because like my wife and I have talked about that too. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to expose our kid to, to coding, to the idea. And she's like, are you sure? Like, because like she's super reluctant and she's she can't start a computer for longer than that, 10 minutes. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to like shove it down his throat or anything, but like, you know, have that as an option. Well, I think, like you say, it's an option. Giving people opportunities is different from cramming it down their throat. Taking my cramming it down the throat idea, giving somebody this this smorgasbord. <laughs> They've got look at all of this feast that you can draw from is very different from holding somebody's mouth open and trying to shove something down there. You try to shove something down down somebody's throat, they're not going to want to eat. But if you provide that feast in front of them, they're probably not going to think twice, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I'll have some of that. And providing that presentation and opportunity so they can say, hey, this this looks appealing is the key. You know, it has been talking a lot about the hook, getting people involved in something they're interested in. Children very much, and I think this is maybe universal to people, but you know, children like hone this skill. They can tell when somebody's trying to make them do something. And they know, like, oh yeah, you you think this is gonna be good for me, so you're gonna make me do it. They realize that they have independent uh, ideas and they want to exercise that. You know, exercise their agency to do what they want. And so they're not going to respond to making them do something. But if you say, hey, do you want me to help you build a Minecraft mod? Well, that's an entirely different scenario, right? That's like, oh, wow, really? I could make my own? It's uh, giving them that feast. Or how about just saying, hey, you're not allowed to create mods. (laughs) (laughs) A little reverse psychology. (laughs) Yeah, I briefly taught some kids really basic HTML and I'd teach them a little bit and then I'd see their eyes kind of glaze over. I'd be like, okay, well, here's you know how you can add an image to your page that you're working on. Here's how you can make the background color red, right? And then just let them go. And suddenly they're like, oh man, I really want to add this funny picture from the internet to my personal web page that I'm doing. I'm like, okay, cool. We'll download it and let's see if we can add it to your page. Oh, I really like the color pink. I want to make my background pink for my web page. Oh, yeah. How do you think? So you give them a little teaser and then they're like, wait a second. I want to do this for myself. And suddenly they're learning the hex code for pink, <laughs> right? Where <laughs> before you were like, here's hex codes and da da. And they're like, oh. but you give them a little taste 
and a little freedom and suddenly they're eager and they're teaching themselves and you're like oh yeah here's a little online color wheel or whatever and see how you can pick a color and see that there's a code next to it you could choose that color and copy that code and then you can make something on your web page that color right you see ted i initially started with that curiosity too i was like oh yeah i want to add a link you know to another site but like there's like a huge gap between like learning how to do like an inline href tag to like doing some like css styling to, <laughs> to like right. adding some logic one jump into another you know and there's like super huge gaps in between and like that's what initially turned me off the first time which was like wow it's like what are variables well this is this is too hard <laughs> yeah i think that's why you need someone to come in and help kids over those gaps right i was talking to a guy and he's like i really wanted to make a game when i was a kid and so i just opened up notepad and I started typing text into a thing and I just saved it as dot bat or something. I, I forget how Windows works, but I think that's a like a batch file or something. And then he tried to run it and he just typed in like open a window, do a thing. Right? He just did it in <laughs> English because he knew that you could tell computers things. And he knew that like these certain types of files could make a computer do things. But he had no concept of programming. And as a little kid, he tried it and then nothing worked and he just got discouraged. And it wasn't until years later that he's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, let's figure this out. But how cool would it have been if someone came along and was like, oh, I see what you're trying to do. Let's uh, start with something real simple and work up from there. Right. Somewhere there's a point where they show the interest and they take the initiative to act on the interest. And you need to be there to catch them when they can't figure something out or they get discouraged and be like, okay, let's fix it. And let's take you up barely to the next level. You, you, you hit on a couple of things that I've been thinking about through this, this whole thing. You, know, you need to have somebody there. Presumably, most people who are listening here and all of us here have done some coding professionally. Or you know, maybe you've just dabbled in a little bit, but... Uh, you have some knowledge. Yeah, I'm thinking about what Ramsey said. Well, I don't have any kids. Might not ever have kids. That's true of a lot of people, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean you're not around people, around children, or maybe an adult who is wanting to grow their skills, but needs that person to provide some scaffolding for them to help them get over that gap. And we can do that. We can be there and provide that bridge so they can get over those big hurdles and you know get to where it's, it's fun again. And I, I think that we should be looking for those opportunities because it's, well, it's important, but it's also rewarding. It's rewarding for the person who's who's helping. One other thing I thought about that you reminded me of earlier, Tad, is you know, there's a nationwide organization, I think is what it is, called Girls Who Code. They provide get-togethers and resources and mentors for girls in particular who are often underrepresented in this field to see those heroes, you know, those role models that they can uh, see themselves in. And if there's a, a girl in your life who has some interest, there are some really good uh, resources out there to help them see themselves in that role. Yeah. I've got two daughters and that I think really opened my eyes to a blind spot that I had. Meaning the first time I was like going to play some games with my daughter, she's like, 
why can't I play as a girl? I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> She's like, I want to play as a girl. And I think we were playing like Minecraft, and I'm like, oh, I guess Steve is the only option right now, right? They added uh, skins, and we helped her like design a, a female skin for her Minecraft character. And she was just thrilled her character could have long hair and run around and whatever. Yeah, I think some real holes where girls don't want to play the game. I, I go back to this because a lot of guys that I know who became developers start out like doing games and stuff, right? But the girls didn't want to kill a bunch of things and save the princess. Like, they're like, eh, <laughs> like, that, that has no appeal to me at all. Right. There's this game that my daughter loved called Aquaria, where you're this like mermaid creature and you sing different songs to create different magical effects and you swim around in this like underwater world. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And this kind of goes back to the right hook. Right. My daughter got interested in games. She got interested in computers because I found some games that appealed to her interests. And sadly, I think that's still tricky to find for girls yeah i think it is but there are things out there that we got to kind of make that extra effort right think yeah. about making some extra effort to make sure she gets those opportunities to see herself i've always just been curious on the psychology behind like child prodigies who are like have this nature like this knack of like being able to pick up coding and like i saw a video on youtube about like this eight-year-old you know who was making <laughs> developing like ios apps you know, and like brought their family out of poverty. So like, I, I've always just been curious on like how like the psychology behind like what makes that kid different, but maybe a topic for another time. Well, yeah, that is a topic for another time, but I will point out that you've got a prodigy, you've got somebody behind them who's been helping them get there. Yeah, even a prodigy needs access to computers and access yeah. to learning materials and probably someone who's there to guide them Absolutely. I think that everything we've talked about today is equally applicable for a kid who's got some strong natural inclination. Everything I've read about prodigies is, suggests that it's mostly they were just interested in it, so they practiced a lot. You don't learn things just without work. So if you find somebody who's deeply interested in somebody, man, you just give them as many resources as you can to pursue that. They can run with it. Everything we've talked about today, providing that hook, giving people the opportunities, uh, giving them support when they get stuck is applicable, whether somebody's mildly interested and, and might not really run with it very far or is full on prodigy is going to be building the next disruptive thing before they hit 20. The same rules apply, I believe. It's an interesting thought. It's been an interesting session. Uh, we've talked about several tools that you can use. I'd invite anybody listening to go and find some some child or or adult in their life who could use some help and help them out, give them a chance to grow and find the magic that's available in programming. See you next time.